I'm really excited. I got my fun jacket on. It's a leather jacket, but this thing doesn't breathe, so I got a towel. Because uh, I know that the, that the anointing of the Lord is here. There are some places that you go, and you don't know if it's popping until you're in there. Anybody else used to party? The party starts at 10, but you show up at what? 1 o'clock. Because you want, you want to be the tightest thing that walks in. You want, like, if this thing ain't jumping, I'm walking out on my mama. If it ain't hot, when I get there, I'm out. Well, here at Ambassadors Worship Center, I want you to understand that what you saw this morning isn't just because it's Sunday, but this is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. There are people that were doing this at the crib last night. There are people that were making breakfast on Saturday morning, and the Holy, the Holy Ghost came, and they, you know what I'm saying? They were flipping eggs, and oh, glory, and it like, <laughs> it's a bad joke. But anyway, we are in, in a new series this month, For the Love of Money. And um, it's, it, it gets kind of interesting because as soon as you start talking about money and as soon as you start talking about bread and as soon as you talk, start talking about the bag, <laughs> I don't know who has a bag, but everybody's chasing it. Um, once you realize that we start talking about money in church, people get really weird, really, really weird. Church is probably the only place where people get weird about money because as soon as you get out of this place, what you're going to do is to proceed to chase the bag that you don't want to talk about in church. So the problem with that that happens is that we can begin to put the, per the money on a pedestal and the person that gave us the ability to get the money in, like, the trash. So what we're going to do today, look at your neighbor and say today. Like today, look, no, look at you, like today. What we're going to do is we're going to allow the word of God to be the context of wealth. Not your bank account, not your energy level, not your job, not your career. We're going to allow the B-I-B-L-E, the Bible, the Word of God. When Jesus spoke, when God spoke, it was incarnate and put into this book. You might have a physical copy. You might have one on your, on your smartphone. Probably don't have one on your dumb phone, but you probably have one on your iPad. But can, can we just make a, a, a decision this morning that we'll let the Word of God be the context today? Like, just let that be the foundation. So if your life falls below, above, to the side of it, don't get mad at your life. Let, let's just try to get our lives on top of what the foundation is, okay? Because what if this series was the last series that you were in that financial space? The only reason why people feel some type of way about giving and tithing and being stewards and following God's plan is because they ain't got none. Can we talk? So this isn't going to be three to four weeks of prosperity. No, that, that's, that's simple. No, what we're interested in, in is being more than enough so that you can not just take care of your people, but you got bread for the city. You got, you got bread for your family. You got bread for that situation that you're so tired of seeing. You know what? Because, oh, I'm getting into my sermon, but I, like money fixes absolutely everything. Like when people tell you that money wouldn't make you any happier, they're lying because they're miserable and they don't want to come up with the fact that they don't want to believe that they can have money and love God at the same time. So what I'm hoping that I can do this morning with the power of God, like God's going to do the teaching, I'm just going to talk. But what I'm hoping is that we can destroy the stereotypes of what the church has taught you that were lies. After today, any person that's hating on your come up is now an enemy. Any person that sees your shopping cart when you're buying things that they don't have the money for is now an enemy. Because I want you to understand something. God doesn't just give us the power to have wealth, but he gives us power to flaunt it for one reason. Not so that people can look at your shoes, look at your car, look at your house. No, so that people can look through your shoes, through your car, through your house, see God, and see that if I got it, you can have it too. 
We live in this thing in the kingdom called commonwealth. Say commonwealth. Which means that wealth should be. The problem is, is that we connect being humble to being wealthy. I've never met a wealthy person that's humble because what humble is, is it's a category that they put you under so that you feel bad about wanting what you want. So I just need like three or four bold people standing up on your feet. They're like, I'm done being humble. I want some bread. Like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done being humble. I'm tired of going on vacation and having to come home. I want to go on vacation and be like, I kind of like it here. Okay, forget y'all. Like, I kind of like, I like 86 degrees, pina coladas with no alcohol. I ain't judging. Like, can we stay three more days? Oh, my God. I'm tired of my mama's living in this house and she ain't got hot water. Like, can like, let's not upgrade this joint. Let's just buy her a whole new joint. Okay, forget y'all. Like, I want to walk into a restaurant and you ain't got the money. Like, everybody on me. Like, oh, look at you. Say, on me, on me, on me. I got it. Don't worry. I got it. On me. And I want you to be frustrated because I'm going to pay for your bill too because God has given me the ability that my storehouse is never empty. Woo! Somebody screaming, my storehouse is never empty. Take your seats. Take your seats. I think they're ready. I think they're ready. Because if you have a baby and you start pushing too quick, you can kill the baby or yourself. But I think y'all ready. I think you're ready. So, today, my iPad is going to act like a jerk. But that's okay, because the word of God is still coming. It's coming in hot. You feel me? It's coming in hot. Um, it's going to come. No, let's just do it. Father God, we come to you, not humbly, but we come to you as sons and daughters. Lord, whatever you would have for our people this morning, whatever you want for them, whatever you want for us, God, we just, we want it. God, we're throwing humble out the window this morning. God, I'm being dogmatic. If it's out there for me to get, if it's out there and you want me to have it, God, I'm taking everything. I'm sucking this string dry. I mean, I, no, I'm not leaving. Anybody that's desperate, come on, let's Like, I'm not leaving no drops. I'm taking the gallon. I'm not just leaving. Like, I'm taking everything. God, if it's out there for me to have, I'm going to get it. If there's an opportunity, if there's a crack in the door, I'm kicking that thing wide open. Hallelujah. 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 Let's just stay in that moment right there where you are. There are some doors in your life that, you, that they've been cracked open and you've been waiting for an opportunity. You've been waiting for permission to be let in. And I think that the Holy Spirit just wants you to put that size 8, size 9, size 11 and a half, 12 boot through the door and walk through it and take it. For, do it right now where you are. God, I'm taking whatever it is. I'm dogmatic. I'm not asking for permission anymore, God. I'm just kicking the door down. Hallelujah. 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 All right, you may take your seats. You may take your seats. You the man. You the man. Somebody say technology. Act right. Do what you're supposed to do. So today, um, I'm really excited. I have notes, but I'm all over the place. But I'm going to do my best uh, to, to, to stay in, in this realm. So we're in our financial series. And a couple of things that I want to make sure you understand here at Ambassadors Worship Center is that we don't necessarily believe in a prosperity gospel. We don't believe that 
you give to get. We don't believe that all the things that you do for, for God or all the things that you do uh, um, because God said so, that when you do it, it doesn't like make God do anything. Like you don't give and God's like, oh, they gave, let me give them what they need. No, no, what we understand is this thing called principle that you do things because they need to be done. Like you don't clean the back of the toilet just because your people coming over. You should clean the back of the toilet like once a week. Any of you that are looking at me weird, don't you ever invite me over to your house for dinner. Don't you bring me no cookies. I'm serious. Don't you act, when I have kids, don't ask to hold my babies. That's nasty. If you have to think about the last time you cleaned the back of the toilet, we got some issues. We got some issues. But what I'm hoping today is going to happen is that the Holy Spirit is going to intervene and we can begin to deconstruct how you think about money. But based through the word of God. So according to this lady, her name is Esther Perel. She's a psychotherapist, and she's a best-selling author. And she wrote this book called The State of Affairs. And she, she understands, uh, she writes that both miserable and happy couples experience the same problems. So it doesn't matter if you're really happy in your relationship, or you're, in your marriage or not, like you're still going through the same issues. So like there's, there's a change of expectations that happens once you get married. Like if you're dating, anybody dating? Anybody ever been dated? Anybody married? The person who you're with now was different than when you saw them the first time. Like your expectations of what they would bring to the table, your expectations of what you could even have on your life was different because you crossed the threshold once you said, I do. But then sometimes in relationships and in marriage, there's this thing that happens called infidelity. Now, don't get wrapped up in it. I'm not going to come for your house. I'm not married. I don't have the authority to do that, right? But what happens in marriage sometimes is that somebody steps out Somebody does something out of the context or somebody does something outside of the expectations that they made when they came together. So what happens is, is that you don't get mad really. You, people get mad like, well, you made it difficult for me to stay. No, it doesn't matter what we did. You made a vow. So you didn't break our relationship. You broke your vow because our relationship isn't as important as the vow. Just get that. Our, our relationship isn't as strong as the vow, what we say, like what we do, if I sleep with another person, if you go and spend all of our money, if you kiss another man, whatever, like that's not breaking the relationship. You going against what you said to me when we were holding hands in front of all those people that were for us. <laughs> I, I'm not really trying to fake. Like when we said I do and I'll for sicker and for poor, whatever it is, and we held each other and we kissed each other and we said I do, that's when the contract started. We signed this thing in blood. So you sleeping with another person, you kissing another person isn't the problem. Like, that sucks, that's sin, that's your body, we can deal with that. My issue is that you promised me that you wouldn't do it. I wonder if God feels the same way about you and your money. You, you follow, you feel me? You, you feel me like, I'm on my Ross mode today, it's gonna be great, it's gonna be great. So when you're in relationships, when you're in marriage, once you cross over that threshold, there's this expectation that you have for things. Like, how are we going to get it? When are we going to get there? Where are we going? Why are we going? And how are we going to figure out when we're there? It's really simple for you to say, hey, we're going to go to California. But if you've never been there before, you can be driving, being in the state of California and not know where you are. So for a lot of us in the room, it's not that you're lost. You just don't know where you are. So can we allow God to be the compass? Can we allow him to be the GPS that tells us where we are? Like, where we're not trying to lead our own lives based off of how we feel, what we see, what we experience. Like, let's use God as the context, amen? 
But I think that God is asking this question because we get married sometimes or we, we get into relationships or we buy the car or we buy the shoes or, or, or we, I don't, I don't know, whatever your thing is, you find that Netflix series that makes you forget to eat and forget to put food in for your children. Like, Mom, I'm hungry. Yeah, I know. One more, one more episode, right? But I think that God has this question where he says, when did the gift become your God? Like, when did, like, you used to worship me differently before you had it and now that you got it, you worship it. Like, <clears throat> excuse me, like what, like what happened? And I don't think that God is asking that question like malicious, like what happened, what happened? I, I think he's really like, like you ever seen somebody in a relationship that got their heart broken? They ask questions a little bit differently. It's not angry, it's not upset. They're really trying to figure out where did it go wrong? Like I thought I was doing everything for you, but then you decided to do something out of your own power. Like I thought we were good. Like what happened? So when God asks this question, I want you to understand a couple of things. Number one, that God is faithful. Like, this is going to be the context. I'm still in context. I haven't even started teaching yet. These are the things that you have to believe before we move forward. Look at your neighbor and say, God is faithful. Even if you don't feel it, see it, or experience it. If you had somebody that you prayed for, you used your faith, and the person passed away, God's still faithful. If you prayed for him to stay, you prayed for her to stay, and they left. That doesn't mean that God isn't faithful. That means that they aren't. Look at your neighbor and say, God is faithful. The second thing that we have to understand is that God always replaces what's in your hand with what's in his heart. He always replaces what's in your hand for what's in your heart, for what's in his heart. The problem is, is that we put more value on what's in our hand because we can't see what's in God's heart because we're unfamiliar. A thousand dollars is more important to me than what's in your heart, God, because I can't see it. What we like to do is we like to negotiate. Let me see what's in your heart first, and then I'll make the decision if I want to give it to you. But if God is faithful, that means I have to make the decision without seeing what's in his heart. I just have to assume that it's good. The third thing that we have to understand is that we have to assume that God is good. Why would a God create you to make you live in poverty? Ask that question. How do we come to church? Church wants to talk about becoming financially free, becoming awesome, and people fight it. But you don't fight when the tax man comes. You don't fight when the IRS comes. That's literally stealing from you. But you come to a place that wants to liberate you and make you better, and you fight that. I want you to understand, God is good inherently, regardless of if you believe it or not. In poverty, he's good. When you got bread, he's good. If you're married to somebody that you didn't really want to be with, he's good. If you're married to the dime piece and she's all that, he's good. God is good regardless of where you are in life. So what we have to do as human beings is begin to trust his heart more than our pocket. God, what's in my pocket is just an illusion. What I have in my pocket doesn't prove how much you love me. What's in your heart, what you want me to get to, that's more important. If you believe it, say amen. amen. Okay, it's going to be one of those. I just need six. I need two in each section. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That's who I'm talking to. Uh, that's who I'm talking to. Uh, uh, Mr. Lamont, my keys are in my desk. Get that boy ready to go. So let's go to Malachi 3, 8 through 12. Malachi 3, 8-12. It says, will a man rob God? Not can a man. It's not asking can a man rob God. It's asking you, will a man make the decision to take what is God's and put it somewhere else? Yet ye have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed you, Lord? And God says what? In your tithes. And your offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Listen to this. Write this down, underline it on the tablet of your heart, write it wherever you can. Verse 10, it says, Bring ye all the what? Tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat 
in mine house, and prove me now wherewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of what? And pour you out a what? That there shall not be room enough to what? So what God is trying to get us to understand is that when you withhold what I already gave you, I can't give you more. Because what God works with is new things. Write that down. God only works with new things. The minute God gives something to you and it's in your hands, the anointing that he had on it now transfers to you and it's over with. That's why the, the decisions that you made as a family when you were only a two-year-old family is not working now that you're 15. What worked with your children at three is not going to work at 18 because they're not three. So what God is trying to get us to understand is that you tithe and you give your offering, not just because it's what you're supposed to do, but it literally makes room for me to give you more so that you can begin this perpetual cycle of give and get, give and get, give and get, give and get, give and get. But you can't get if you never give. Everybody got somebody in their family that's stingy. How do you feel about that person? Man, you just never, you never share. You never invite me over. Like, I gave to you and you never gave to me. I wonder if God feels the same way. You just asked me last week for such and such, I gave it to you, and you won't even give me 10% of it. I'm going to let you keep 90. What investment on earth right now do you invest and you get 90% back? Tell me. Tell me. No, I'm really, I'm waiting because I, I need to know because this pastoring thing could be, listen, I'll pastor from Bora Bora. I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll do it. So when you're in relationship and once you've made this expectation with God, and now you're in relationship with God. You've given your life to him. You made a vow. But sometimes you can go against your vow and you can literally cheat on God. But there are some signs of infidelity. There, there are some signs when somebody cheats. There's some, and it's not just in a relationship because infidelity happens with you and your boss. Infidelity happens with you and your children. Well, mommy promised. You did promise, but you didn't come through on your promise, so you just cheated me. Okay, let me show you. So there are a couple ways that you can tell if, if, if something's off. Look at your neighbor say, something's off. Number one is that their routine changes. You used to come to church. You used to serve. But now you got some bread and you ain't got time on Sunday. You go golfing. What, what happened? You used to, oh, let me move on. Number two, there's emotional distance. When you didn't have no bread, you used to worship me. But now you got some bread, you don't need me as much because now your money fulfills the things that you used to ask me for. Then you have limited time spent. Like, I don't see you anymore. Like, we used to have a routine. We used to go to breakfast every Saturday. Then we would go to the gym. Then we would make our meal planning. Then we'd go to church on Sunday. But you've missed meal planning like twice. And you're never, you're, you're always on time. Where, where, where have you been? The next is that there is an increase in missed events or occasions. Hey, we over at the house. Remember, you were going to be here at 7. Dang, I forgot. I'm on my way. Is it that you're late or is it you were in a place that you weren't supposed to be? You were supposed to be here to serve at 8.30. It's 8.45. Where were you? Oh, you know. I'm on my way. It doesn't matter to your department head. It doesn't matter to your department leader. What you're doing is you're telling God something. Ooh, Jesus. The next sign of an affair is this explosive defense. Where were you? I was where I was supposed to be. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Bro, we don't see you at church anymore. Oh, I got to go to church to prove that I love God. Wait a minute, that's, whoa, what, where's this 
what, what's good? We used to be cool in church, and now when I ask you about church, you get defensive. What happened? God used to meet you in your prayer closet every Thursday morning at 7 o'clock, and you were really good at doing it when we were fasting and praying because everybody was. You're like, if I'm weak, they weak. But now when you got to be weak in your own season, you're missing out on the dates that God has made for you in your prayer closet. So now God is in your prayer closet waiting for you like we used to. Where, where is she? There's some things I want to show her, Lord, but, like, she's not here. I, I'm not going We made a date, and she stood me up, like. Then there's like this excessive, say excessive. Okay, you gonna lie to me. Look at your neighbor, say excessive. excessive. There's an excessive need for privacy. Hey, give me that. I was just moving your phone because I need to wipe it on the counter. Okay, next time just let me know. Hey, let me see your iPad. I thought I had all your codes. Like what? You changed them? Oh, yeah, it's this new thing at work. I got my old code with my new code. My new code was my old code, so I had to change the old code to the new code, and, and it's, it's a new code. So what's the code? Hand it to me, and I'll put it in for you. I'm coming to your house. I'm in that thing. Whatever y'all eating, I'm eating there, too. Look, it's delicious. There's a sense of privacy where you used to allow God into every single part of your life like Adam in the garden. Like, oh, my God, this is beautiful. And now when God walks through your house, <laughs> there are walls where there used to be doors. <laughs> there, there, are, there are, like, where there used to be, like, open doorways. There's, like, chain and link and, like, there's, like, lasers and the ring. You got to push the thing and God's like, I'm here. And, like, no, nah, you ain't got no access, bro. Look at your neighbor. Say, will a man. Rob God. Can we unbox this thing this morning? If we can unbox it, clap once. There you go, Jason. There's some more material for you. Point number one. Look at your neighbor. Say money fixes everything. It would be impossible for us to talk about money in church and to tell you the lie that money won't make you happy. I got $1,000 in my pocket right now. Who wants it? How much, how happy would it make you? Prove to me how happy it would make you. Like, I literally have $1,000. Like, y'all don't want this $1,000. Wow. That's what you would do for $1,000? I thought by, by this point, somebody would have ran up here and, like, tried to shine my shoes. Like, y'all really don't want this $1,000. Like, you don't see the bulge in the, like, it's the, th really, nobody wants this $1,000. What happened? I had to cheer you to get what you thought you needed. Why do we do that in church? You had to see the money for you to believe it? Which means one thing. You got to understand something. Money makes you happy. You want to know how I know? Because I just proved it. Tell me I'm lying. If I had $1,000 and gave it to you, you'd be looking at life a little bit more different today. Your family could be in the hospital. You could have had a flat in your car. You would be like, <laughs> we'll be fine tomorrow. <laughs> money changes the game. Therefore, if money changes everything, you shouldn't be upset about trying to get some. Listen, money equals possessions, and it's talked about in the Bible 800 times. God talks about money 
possessions, going and getting it, reaping a harvest, tithing, sowing, giving, and you filling your storehouses and having more than enough 800 times. So any church that you've ever been to has lied to you if they're saying that you should not want to be an amazing person with money. They have lied to you if they are telling you that you don't need money, you just need to be humble. They're, t- they're lying to you if they tell you that you want six beds Well, you only got two people in your house. Well, maybe I want to sleep in a different room every week. Huh? You ever thought about that? Maybe I want six sinks, huh? Huh? Maybe I want a basement that I can put my whole family in, huh? Why not? Any person that makes you feel bad about getting more doesn't have what they need. Because people that have what they need don't hate on other people trying to get some. Why would I be upset if you had these shoes on? I got them. Look at them, thinking they're so awesome. They got some shoes. Look at your feet. Oh, snap, I got them too. It's dumb. Money is talked about second to repentance. So God talks about repent, repent, change your mind, think a little bit differently. Then directly after he talks about repenting and changing your mind, what does he talk about? Get some money. The Bible says repent. The world is not, like, like you're not your own. You're a new creature. May this, may this mind that's in Christ also be in you, comma, now go get some bread. So God wants you to change your mind about how you see your money. Then he wants you to proceed to get some more. Look at your neighbor and say, get some more. Say, get some more. Fix your mind, then get some more. But money fixes everything. Look at your neighbor and say, everything. Like, absolutely everything. Money brings happiness. Money does bring fulfillment. The problem is, is are you putting your trust in the fulfillment? Or are you putting your trust in the person that gave you the ability to get what it was? In Ecclesiastes 10, 19, it says, laughter and bread go together. Let me break that down. Laughter and what? Bread. What do you call that stuff that you put in the bank? Bread. So being joyful and having some money go together. Oh, my God. You mean I can be happy and have money and buy what I want and still be happy? Yes. Well, you can. That's what the Word of God says. Listen to this. And wine gives sparkle to life. But listen to this. But it's what? Money that makes what? The world go round. Why would we want to make you, why would we want to take you out of the game? When I tell you that money isn't important, but money makes the world go round, I'm automatically taking you out of any situation that God puts you in to make a difference. Anything that you are purposed to do, anything that you want to make happen, yes, God can do what he needs to do. Yes, there's going to be some anointing. But in order for anything to happen in the earth, you need some bread. You can't even take care of your family without money. You're just going to faith in God, these bills. May they be revoked in Jesus' name. No, sir. IRS is going to be at the crib. Uh, Mr. Williams, where's that $200 you, uh, you owed us? Well, I put, I put oil on my hands and put it on the envelope, and I sent it back to the receiver, and we here to come and get it. Where's it at? <laughs> where's it at? Like the gross sisters. Point number two. We are God's bride. Remember how I was talking about infidelity, how I was talking about relationship, how I was talking about vows? Remember that? Let me prove it to you in Scripture. God makes us aware of us being his bride at the end of the Bible. Think about this. 
In Revelations, God says, you are my bride. And at some point in time, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. Which means that everything that he tells us between Genesis and Revelations is what we should be doing to prepare ourselves to be a suitable mate. So if you're going to enter in relationship with somebody, you just don't marry somebody off the street because she got hams, yams, pampers, huggies, tonka, the truck. You know what I'm talking about? Like she, she has a nice posterior. All you're like, oh my God, how is he saying that? Can we talk? You don't marry her. You don't marry him just because of what he can buy. But you marry him based off of understanding that there are some things that I got to have in order before he proposes. Men, I got to have some things in order. You don't, have to, you don't have to like have it all figured out, but you better have your life together. You better have management over your zipper. You better have, man, you better have management over your debit card, your credit card, over your mouth, over your eyes, over your ears. You don't have to have a giant house because you'll be able to get the house with her. But do you have control over your own body? Now you're going to connect your body to somebody else's body and you don't have control over your own, but you want to control both of theirs, but still do what you want to do and get upset with them when they, ca- when they catch you and what you're doing? So what we know is that it's too late to be talking about how you're going to deal with your money once you get to counseling. So this is what happens. We say you need to get counseling here at Ambassadors Worship Center. You go get counseling, but you're counseling what you want them to fix in six weeks what you haven't been able to fix in six years. So there's some conversations that need to happen before you go to counseling. Counseling is supposed to be the master class where they start to help you put those big pieces of your life in the right order, which means that we need to have some conversations before we say, I do. We need to say, have some conversations before we get in bed with one another because getting in bed with one another is literally the vow before God that now we're together. It's not when you say, I do, because when you sleep with the other person, there's a covenant that, that is made between blood and your, and your biology, and God says, that's marriage. So when you ask God into your heart and you decide to do what you want to do with your money, you have now broken the covenant. Let me prove it to you. Let me prove it to you. Revelations 19, 7 through 9. Or 6, 6 through 9. It says, then I heard the sound of mass choirs, the sound of the mighty cataract, the sound of strong thunder. It said, hallelujah. The master reigns, our God, the sovereign strong. Let us celebrate. Let us rejoice. Let us give him glory. Listen to this. The marriage of the... Lamb has come. His wife herself is what? Ready, not preparing. Not getting herself together. Oh, let me get this veil on. We're about to get married. No, no, no. She's ready. That's why we say here at Ambassador's Worship Center, I want to give my heart to God. Wait a minute. There's grace. God can give you grace. But I want you to understand something. The minute you give your heart to God, you have now been wedded. There's a marriage that happens when you say, God, come into my heart. You have literally exchanged your life for his expectations. She was given a bridal gown of bright and shining linen. The linen is the righteousness of the saints. The angel said to me, write this, blessed are those invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. He added, these are the true words of God. Write this down. The wedding is the bonding of your soul to his soul. When you give your heart to Christ, you have automatically told him that all of the plans that he has for your money, for your life, for your well-being, and your health, you're going to follow. God, I love you. God says, all right, bet. 
I'm cashing in on what you just said. So anything and everything that I tell you to do, if I'm the man of the house, if we're going through the structure of the word of God, remember the word of God. There are some women that are the head of your household. So that, that, that's awesome. That's great. But let's just use the word of God, right? If you have a man in your house and he's the, he's the head of the house, there's some things that he should be able to say and there's no conversation. Because you trust him. So when you get into relationship with God, God doesn't tell you to do things out of suggestion. He tells you out of being your husband. We're, we're married. Look at your neighbor and say, we's married. So are you going to do what I told you to do or now you have suggestions? Because when we got married, you said I do to some things that we call the vows. So when I'm, I'm getting married in June, absolutely great. It's awesome. It's super stressful. But it's really interesting because, like, I want to write my own vows. But before I write my own vows, I think it's important for any man to actually read what the right vows are. Because we put a lot of things in the vows that are unimportant. Oh, my God. Like, I promise to never leave. I promise to always hold you and cherish you. But the way that it was written originally, like, it makes perfect sense. Because everything that you don't want to say, it says. Let me prove it. Let me prove it. It says, this is the groom's part. So they say, groom. So they would say, Joshua, do you take Vanessa to be your wedded wife? I, I, not, I can't right now, but I will. To live together in marriage. Together. Not apart. Do you promise to love her? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love you to the best of my ability. No, 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 doc. No, you got to promise. Because there's going to be some moments when you don't love me and I can't stick. I can't. You got a knife behind your back just waiting for him to snore. So. Do you promise to love her, comfort her, honor, and keep her for better? No, not or, better and for worse. Not that you get to choose. When things are going bad, I get to choose when I want to be with God. Ah! Like, when my money ain't doing what it's supposed to do, that's when I choose to come to church. That's when I choose to call my people. Like, when, right when I'm in the moment and pornography is like, like I'm stricken with it, I make the choice if I'm going to call my, my accountability partner. No, no, no. When it's bad and when it's good. Because it's not always going to be good. Look at any person that's financially free. Their financial freedom probably is dwarfed by how much they lost. Okay, okay, let me, let me... Keep her for better and worse, for richer and poor, in sickness and health, and forsaking who? Some, some others. But she fine. But she got more money. But her breath don't stink in the morning. Forsaking all others, being faithful only to who? To her. For as long as you both shall live. And it's interesting because if you do it the right way, the reverend asks you a question that you have to answer. But if you do your own vows, most people don't put the, they don't, you don't ask yourself a question. So do you take her? Yes, I do. So what happens is, is that we join into these vows that are broken because we don't answer the question of God saying, are you going to forsake me above every other person? So when you get the bag, are we in this three-way relationship where I'm your side piece, but you sleep with them? Is Jesus your side piece and your main piece is the, is the bag? I'm chasing the bag, and God is like, bro, we're connected. We made vows. I'll buy you a new computer. I think I broke it. So Jesus is literally proposing. 
in Revelations. Like, Jesus is literally making vows with us. Like, when you give your heart to Christ, God is like this. Do you take me to be your lawfully wedded husband? Meaning that if I'm on my knee, there's some stuff that I got, but you got to commit to it before we get it. Because a good man that you have, if you have a good man or if you're looking for a good man, there's some chance that what you wanted in a man, he doesn't have it yet, but he's in pursuit of. Okay, let me move on. Let me move on. So there are some things that you made a decision to when you said, God, I want you into my life. Remember, vows. Look at your neighbor say vows. You committed yourself to a couple of things. You committed yourself to the first vow. You said that, Jesus, you're the son of God. That's a Romans 10, 9. Then you said, God, I'm going to join in community. I'm not going to do this by myself. That's Galatians 6 and 2. Then you said, God, I'm going to be pure before you, right? Like, if you're not a virgin, you get married. There's grace and there's mercy. But if we're doing it the correct way, by it is biblically, virtue is most important. How do you, like, the first time you lay with that person, the first time you're with them, it should be pure because you have no other context. But the question is, is that we're in bed with God and the bag. So purity is that we're going to live a life free of sin. That's 1 John 1, 1, 9. Then we tell God that we're not going to cheat on him. We say we won't serve any other gods. That's Joshua 24, 15. So when you say, God, I let you into my life, you're telling God, God, I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to manage my reproductive organ. And your reproductive organ is your wealth. You can produce anything you want. Mm. <laughs> The last thing that you promised God is that you were going to be money conscious with the plan that he already had before you got there. This is the reason why it's so important, and that's why my dad has been beating the dog poop, I'll say that, out of me and all these other men that I call my circle because I have to prepare something for her to help. You don't join into a relationship and marry a man and tell him what to do with his money. If you got to do that, then we're living in a world that's upside down. So you don't marry God and then tell God what you're going to do with your money. Once you're married, what's yours is his, and what's his is his. You told God, I'm going to give you 10%. You want to know how I know? Because in Proverbs 3 through 9, you said that you were going to be money conscious, and you were going to bring everything into the storehouse. God, I'm going to give you 10%. God, I'm going to serve. God, I'm going to be a part of it. So the problem is, is that we're not necessarily chastising you because you didn't show up. We're not chastising you because you don't give. Because you giving isn't going to make the light stay on. You giving makes the light stay on in your life. God is going to sustain this because if we told you what it costs to make this happen compared to what we get, you'd probably laugh because God has a grace on our life because we're following the principle. So what happens is, is that people asking you where you've been for the last couple of weeks, when your serve team leader asks, and, like, you're not tithing, you're not giving, it's not because they're trying to put a whip on you. It's because they know what it's like to not give and expect something. Two plus two equals four every time. But if you don't give, you're taking one of those twos out of the equation and you're trying to make it work. Two plus a uh, fish equals four. Nah, that's not how it works. The other part of the equation is that you give some to get some. Then you're able to give to others. So who is this other? What did it say? To forsake all others. So who is the other? Look at your neighbor and say, who's the, who's the other? The other is any person or thing who could stand in the place of your spouse. So the other could be the Xbox. The other could be the gym. Well, I'm just a gym rat. No, you don't like being at home. You don't want to deal with what's going on at the home. So you'll go do 10,000 squats because you don't want to talk. Mm. 
What else is the other? The other can be a plate. It could be food where you're putting the consumption of something to make you feel good because you don't want to talk to the person that you've married about what's happened in your past or what's happened in your relationship. So then you begin to eat, then you gain the weight, and you get upset with them when they don't love you anymore because you're not the person that they married because you don't look like them, but you keep eating to fill the hole. But the hole can be fixed if you communicate. The other is anything that consumes your time knowingly dragging you away from who you made your vow with. The other has this dogmatic, demonic thought that I'm trying to drag you away from this person that you said in richer and for poorer, sickness and in health. It's trying to drag you away. Look at, say to your neighbors, trying to drag you away. The other literally fulfills your fantasy or desires that the person who stands in that place should be. If you're receiving more joy from the thing than you are from the person that you entered into engagement and marriage with, it's the other. If you get more excited when, the, when your phone texts than when she sits next to you, whoever just pinged your phone, that's the other. Even if it's Candy Crush. I can't tell you how many dinners we see when we go out to eat and a man is sitting across from a woman that when I say is fire, I love you, you're the only woman that I want. But she's like attractive. I'm not, I'm not blind. Like all I see is Vanessa. No, I love her. I make a decision to love her. <sighs> like you're going to see a fine woman and be like, oh, I don't see anything. Oh, 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 oh no. Oh. What happens if you go to Burger King? That'll be $10.88. Uh... I'm not even hungry. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm meddling. I'm meddling. What was I talking about? Let me get back on point. Let me get back on point. Let me get back on point. So when you get married, you, you have to know the other person. Like you don't figure out who the person is in marriage. Marriage is supposed to be the beginning of the race where you're figuring each other out. Like, like, no, marriage is supposed to be the beginning of the race where you're building on something, where you start the race. When you get married, a gun goes off. You shouldn't be trying to figure out where your cleats are. You shouldn't be trying to figure out what, what leg of the race are you going to run. I, I run hard in the beginning. Well, I think I have. Dang, I haven't ran in a minute. Do you like to run? Oh, you're a coach. You're not even a runner? Like, when you say I do and you've made your vows, bang, you need to be ready to go not trying to figure out how to stretch correctly. So you got to know your man. Look at your neighbor and say, know your man. Like, I'm going to tell you about this dude. Because, like, it's not a homosexual re relationship. It's the Godhead. It's when the God in God and the God in me comes together. And there's this romantic relationship. Like, let, let me explain to you. Like, your man is so fly. You say, y'all watch Wild and Out. I'm with it. I'm with it. They lit today. I'm going to do it again. Your man is so fly. How fly is he? He's so jealous that he would destroy anything that gets in the way of your relationship. Your man is so fly, How fly is he? that he loves you unconditionally, that he literally gave his entire body, his being to step in the place of your sin. Your man is so fly. How fly is he? he will never cheat on you. Like the word cheat doesn't make like, I'm never going to step out on you. The word of God says that I will never leave you, nor for. Wait a minute. So you mean you coming home every night, every night, every night? 
<laughs> I ain't got to worry about where you at. I ain't got to read no receipts. You coming home every night? Your man is so fly. He'll never leave you. He literally took your place when it comes to sin. But guess what? Your man is so fly that he only asks you for 10% of what you bring in. Never thought about it that way, did you? God wants 10%. He doesn't want a piece of it. He wants all of it. But I just told you what he's bringing to the relationship. Do you even know what your man is bringing to the relationship when you say, I do? God's going to save my life. God is like cleaning you up. It's like the least of what I can do. I just told you that I'm jealous, which means every person that I'm seeing, I'm rolling up on. And I'm not asking no questions. As soon as I see buddy, I'm like, I'm, I'm here with it. That makes you understand that God does not negotiate with terrorists in your life. So if you got dem demons in your house, if you got stuff that's holding on to your money, God doesn't come into your life and say, all right, we're going to go through a 10-step plan. No, Jesus rolls up and airs the whole joint out. And any person that he kills on accident, he puts his hand on them and he rises them up. <laughs> Can we have fun in church? But listen to this. Write this down. God's lifestyle is going, to is going to require your contribution. It's the next point. Tap into what God is building. Listen to this. Any man worth marrying has something in place that he wants his potential spouse to buy into. A sugar daddy, I'm not trying to be a sugar daddy because then I can control you because you didn't put any parts in this. But when God delivers to me something in my life, if I'm married, it had to have been a part of the relationship I have with my wife. What happens is that we're in relationship with God and we pray and we do enough to get what we need out of them. But then once we get it, we show the boys like we did it ourselves. Bro, look at these shoes I got, knowing your wife bought them. Look at this car that I got. And God's like, wait a minute. I was the one that talked to the dealer the night before to change the interest rate. Like, I was the one that made the stock drop so that you can even pay for the car. And God's like, wow, so you're taking stuff into other people's spaces and telling them you got it when I was the one that got it for you? Acting kind of unfamiliar there, brother. But there's only three things that God wants you to contribute. I'm going to move a little bit quicker. You ready? God wants you to contribute your heart, your body, and your money. Let me prove it to you. When you said, I do, when you said, God, I want to be in your life, I want you to be in my life, I want to marry you, God said, all right, give me your body. Romans 12, 1, he said, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to underline this, give your what? Bodies to God, because all of he has done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. You do not have a choice. What you do with your body, once you give your life to God, and you go back to doing whatever you were doing before, you were telling God, what you're giving me in the bedroom is not good enough. It's a romantic relationship. I want you to understand that when you said I do, you literally fell in love with a man that wants nothing from you, but wants to give you everything. So when you decide to give your body to something else, you're literally telling him he's not good enough. <sighs> he also wants your heart. In Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, I will do what? Give you a new heart. How do you get a new heart if you don't give him your heart first? You get a new heart when you say, God, here's my heart. Take it. God literally doesn't fix your heart. He throws it away, literally makes you a new one and puts it back into you. 
I will remove from you your heart of stone. But then guess what the last thing is that God wants from you? Guess. Look, ask me. Ask me. He wants your bread. Listen to this. Nehemiah 10, 35 through 37. It says, we obligate ourselves, not God. I obligate myself to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and our cattle and our flocks and the fruit and the trees and the oil and the chambers and the priests into the house of God. And to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. So you made a decision to give God these three things. Unbeknownst to you, you made a decision. God, I'm going to give you all of this. When you said, God, I give you my life, you gave him your heart, you gave him your body, and you gave him your money. But the problem is, is that we give him our heart, our mind, and our money the first time, and we try to figure out why it didn't happen yet. So this is my next point. Look at your neighbor say, the dream takes time. What I want you to understand is this. Money fixes everything but our sense of process. Money has this ability to fix anything and everything in your life, right? Money can fix it. But what money does not fix is how you see time. Any investment worth getting is going to take some time to get the money back. You don't put $1,000 in and receive 110% on your return in two days. A lot of the investments, these people, they're like, oh, my God, look at them. They just think that they're flaunting it. No, they've been investing for 15 years. The dream takes time. It is impossible to see meaningful results from a process you haven't fully bought into. So we give our hearts to God. We give our hearts to God. And then we have this conversation of thinking that the minute I gave my heart to God, now anything and everything in my life is supposed to change. So then what happens after that is that you have to understand another thing. Say another thing. Can y'all see? I know y'all can't see. Y'all feel some type of way. Okay, I'm sorry. I got you. Don't do that. Somebody over there was like, I can't see. Okay, I got you. Look at your neighbor and say, you can't serve two masters. This is what a lot of our lives look like. We got the bag. It's a nice bag. Smell like money. We take the bag and, and we bring it to the table. And we take care of the bag. Let me push your chair. We take care of the bag. But the problem is, is that we just brought the bag to a table that was already had a space that was taken by God. The cloud. He's, he's, he's not a ghost. He's a spirit. So I got some Polly and some Esther, and it works out. So we bring in a third wheel to the date and the dinner for two. The affair, your relationship with money. I'm not telling you what you're doing is right or wrong. This, this is just God convicting you. So if you feel some type of poke, it ain't me. I ain't no magician. I'm not. This table that God expected was going to be set for two then you bring a third person and you didn't push in his seat, but you made sure that this seat was right. This seat needs some water. And God's like, 
Well, I don't need water. I'm the living water, but I'd like for you to ask. It'd be nice. It'd be nice. So the question is, look at your neighbor and say, where's your heart? Where's your body? And where's your money? Do not miss this. Don't miss this. Matthew 6, 24 through 26. Listen, it says what? You can't worship two gods. And the message, it's gods with a little g. In the New Living Translation, it's you can't worship two gods. It's a large g, and then there's an asterisk small g underneath, which basically means that you can't serve God and another something that you've made God. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. But you just said money fixes all things. It does. The love of money is evil. Money isn't evil. But if you love God as your master over God... Now the money's not evil, you are. Money isn't evil. Money just goes where it's sent. If I hit you upside the head with this bag of money, you gonna get upset with the bag? Who you gonna get upset with? Your boy. So God isn't upset with you having money. God is upset that the things that you said in those vows, that you were gonna give him your heart, and your body, you gave your heart and your body to the bag. Verse 25, if you decide for God, living a life of God worshiping, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes on your closet are in fashion. There is far more of your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds of the air. They're free and unfettered. They're not tied down to a job description. But underline this, care less in the care of God means that when they're in the care of God, they can literally care less. Like, I'm in the care of God. Like, what are you going to eat today? I don't know. I'm just going to eat when I'm hungry. Well, where are you going to eat? I don't know. I'm just going to make the decision to eat. Food's going to be there. I'm going to eat. Birds don't say, you know what? I got to fly. Shoot. Okay. Wind trajectory. Amos came yesterday, and he got one less worm the last week, which means I can't go to the same place he went. So, okay, wind is coming due east. That means I need to go due north because I don't want to go to the same place that he's eating. No, birds see a whole bunch of birds eating, and they go, oh, there must be something there for me too. Which means that where God has sent you is never oversaturated. There are a million rappers, but you're not one yet. There are a million movie directors. Are you? Everybody's married. I don't have to be married. No, no, no. Your marriage, when you get married, is going to speak to a young man that doesn't think it's possible. Like, whatever God sends you to is enough. There's a million people that teach people how to eat right and go to the gym, but they don't 
connect the Bible and nutrition and family and how to connect your family to the bag. Like, no, they do their own fitness thing and that's it. No, like, if I'm in this thing, my wife is in it, my babies are in it, and, and go tell your mom and your dad to quit their job because they're going to learn how to make this quinoa and rice. You feel me? Like, whatever God sends you to, it's not saturated. It's for you. Look at your neighbor. Say, it's not saturated. It's for me. Somebody that's bold, stand to your feet, say, it's not saturated. It's for me. Walk into your job a little bit different tomorrow. This is mine. Look at your supervisors. That job, that corner office that you got, you're just keeping the seat warm for your boy. Just, just wait. And you better not blink because I might fire you. Uh -huh. Kidding, kidding, kidding. Kidding. Listen to this, 28 to 30. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most. Wait, what? So the person who gave everything that they have, you want me to give him a thousand times more than what he gave? How does that work? And get rid of this play it safe. Jumping into marriage and not saying things in the vow because you're not ready to commit to it yet, but you want to be so badly married. <laughs> get rid of this play it safe. Who won't go out on a limb? Throw him out into the utter darkness. Can I show you something? My last point is to figure out what your relationship status is. Are you, is Jesus your side piece? Is he a friend with benefits? I'm with you, but then once this is gone, I come back and get with you. And then once I get what I need from you, I leave you and I get back to the bag. And then once the bag leaves me, I come back to you. So really, I'm just fornicating with you to get what I need. I'll give you what you need to give me what I need. And then I'll go get what I actually want. Is, is God a colleague? Or does your life look a little bit like this? God, I want all of you. But from time to time, I'm, I'm going to go sleep with this. So I just want you to know, I give you my heart, but not all of it, because some of my heart isn't here. Oh, you'd be surprised some of the relationships that we counsel. Oh, yeah, he steps out maybe like two or three times a month, but I give him a hall pass. What? I'm not even married, but what? what? Huh? What? God, I love you, and I know that you have all these great things for me. But you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold this. I'm going to hold this closer. So then what happens is, can I show you? God only works in trinities. He only works in threes. Look at your neighbor and say, he only works in threes. Kylie, can you come here, please? God only works in threes. So God can only be in relationship with you with another person. He would hope that it would be him you, and the opportunity that, is, that just came into your life. But my hands are full. So you can join in with God, with me, on something, but I'm still trying to secure the bag. And God doesn't work in broken relationships. So what's the status of your relationship? Is holding on to the bag more important than holding on to God and the opportunity that's waiting for you? Because you can't, you can't grab my hand because my hand is... 
God, I trust you, but not enough to let go of the bag and get into your full relationship with opportunity. God, I love you, like, but this is the money I can get. And the dude I'm interested in, he ain't got a bag, so I'm not ready. But God's like, is, your, is it your bag and his bag, or does it become y'all's bag? But I think today what God is really interested in us doing is seeking ye first the kingdom of God. Because once you seek the kingdom of God... all of that, but once you seek ye first, you get to join into covenant. You get to join into covenant with the man that loves you and the man that created him. Because when you get married, you don't just get the person. You get the whole, you get the whole family. When you, when you enter into this engagement with God, you don't just get him to clean your life. You get him, the father, the son, and the whole, you get all of them. So you get everything that you need in one. So when you enter in relationships, he's funny, but he's not cute. Well, he's cute, but he ain't fit. He's fit, but he ain't smart. I want to tell you, if he's not all of those things, he ain't it. Because you're worth having everything that you want. I'm about to lose my mind. Can you please come, Mr. Dwayne? Because then what happens is, is that once you stay in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, once you seek first the kingdom of God, everything else is added. Can you add that on top? But now, watch. The bag isn't being supported by my weight alone. If you think about it, I can do less work, and God can do more work than I can, and he can support everything I need financially. Ah! And in some cases, I can just, I have no cares. God's got me. Thank you. Like, he's, he's, he's got me. Because then you get to this point where you're like, shoot, if you can carry all that, this jacket hot anyway. Why, why don't you, why don't, why don't you get that? And, you know, and why don't you, my family, I mean, you got my money, you got God, like, why don't, why don't you take, why don't you take that too? Shoot, God, what else, what else can I give God? Oh, here, here's my insecurities, Lord. Like, here you go. Like, oh, here's my attitude. Can you take that too? Like, oh, gee, I need some more stuff. Oh, where's my insecurity at? My insecurity, where is it? Oh, here it is. Oh, yeah, you can, you can take that too. And then you get to this point. You get to this point of where you're literally living life carefree as a bird. When I'm hungry, I don't go to my pockets and try to find something. I say, hey, let me, hold on. Let me, uh, oh, you're, you're good, I trust you. Once I put it up there, I'm not gonna take it back. But let me get enough. Let me get enough. Because then what happens after that, you did a good job, Jesus. It's hot, isn't it? It's very hot. You're good. Because, thank you, Kyla. Because then what happens after that is that out of the wealth of God, wait a minute, let me not do that. That's a bad day. Out of the wealth of God, you're able to give to others. So, if you're waiting for the altar call, this is it. 
God has given you a bag. He's given you an ability to get some wealth. But God also doesn't want to be in a relationship where there's more than one person in the bed. God's like, do you trust me? Or are you trying to keep a clutch on this bag? Because what I got from you, for you, it's going to call for both of your hands to be wrapped on me. Because you can wrap your hands onto this, but as you squeeze it, it's going to lose volume and air is going to come out. But as you begin to squeeze on me, like, I don't change my form. I, I, I don't lose anything the more you squeeze on me. Because then this is what happens. When we begin to give our first fruit, which is so exciting, and I think that this year you're going to be able to give a little bit differently, not just because of this sermon, but because I really believe that God is going to start divorcing us from the bag and just giving it to us. Remember how? So he can support it. But what happens when you begin to give, which is the last part of our relationship, is when you get into a really good marriage, you know that you, you give to one another physically. Hey. You give to one another physically, but then out of your relationship, you do this thing called multiply. You do this thing where you have children. And when you have children, they say that children are the best gift to anybody because they become a gift to the world. What if I told you today, if you changed your relationship status from friends with benefits with God to he's your main provider, that he would take the bag that you used to clutch and you could now take that bag and distribute it to other people. Because you want to know the crazy thing? It doesn't matter how much I give, I always. And, and this is the thing. Listen, 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 listen. If you look at the dollars that are there, they're one dollar bills. They're just ones. But this is a five. And and this this is a hundred. And oh, there's another hundred and another hundred and another hundred and a ten and a twenty. What I'm trying to get you to understand is this. When you give, you're not just letting it go to the wind. When you give, you are literally making more space. You're making more space for God to refill what he gave you. So here it is. Who wants to change their relationship status?